760 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Cardinals need a play right here from their franchise quarterback. Murray running for his life. Murray trying to buy some time. Murray gets a couple of blockers. Murray's going to run for it. He's got it. First down, Cardinals. Kyler Murray putting the offense on his back. He runs for 13. And new life for the Cardinals. Williams keeps it on the quarterback. Counter. Gets the first down. Still on his feet. The magic man. Pulls out the magic wand. Touchdown Sooners. It's on his face. Uh, arm tackles, man. You gotta be kidding me. He runs through there. Bumbling. Bumbling. Touchdown. On third down. Beck looks down the middle. There's Brock Bowers. Touchdown. Dogs. Little stutter and go. Little pump and then nice throw. Perfect timing. And finally, 19 gets into the end zone. Take it to Henderson, pitch it, Harrison, open space, there he goes, Marvin Harrison Jr., touchdown, Ohio State, get it to the playmaker, and he'll make a play. And he did so in a couple of ways. That's drilled right field, well struck, that one way back, that one's on its way, and gone! Corbin Carroll with a two-run homer, and the Diamondbacks are within one. After all the rebounding difficulties in the first half, an offensive rebound puts Duke up by two. Good defense by Filipowski to slow down Ballo. Love inside to Johnson. Yes! Oh. And a chance to give them the lead at the line. It is 24 yards to give Arizona their seventh win of the year. And there it is. The Arizona roll continues. Their first week as a ranked team in the Jetfish era, they come on the road and they win one without their A-game, bluntly. 41-yard try for the win. Lutz, he missed it, but a flag is down. 12 men on defense, five-yard penalty. Wow. Go fourth down. And this will move the ball inside the 20 and it becomes a 36-yard Game-winning field goal attempt by Will Lutz. Good snap, good hold. Kick, perfect. And the Broncos have come to Buffalo, and they're going to leave with a win. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports own guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome to the Tuesday, November 14th edition. November 14th, there's something on this date in my life I'm supposed to remember. Somebody's birthday, an anniversary, something going on. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, this is the Tuesday, November 14th edition. I've been trying to figure out this November 14th thing for like 24 hours. So... I'll, I'll find out later today when somebody calls me and says, you forgot to do this. All right, back to the show we go. Welcome to the Tuesday, November 14th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone right here on KDUS AM 1060, 
and KSLX HD2 100.7. The Cardinals, which was most important uh, in the uh, what is most important moving on here, the 2023 record or the 2024 draft you know positioning. Let's call it draft positioning. Meanwhile, the CFP, who should be ranked first tonight. Meanwhile, the Diamondbacks, what position should be most addressed this offseason? The U of A, which program should fans be following closer right now, basketball or football? The Bills, will they make the playoffs? They made a coaching change today. More on that in a minute. And what else caught your eye since our last show? Here's today's schedule lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday and moments by the introduction of today's pipeline. At 10.15 or so around college football, including a college football playoff week three preview with Eric Smith of USA Today. We'll touch on Michigan. We'll touch on Texas A&M and other coaching openings, uh, among other things with Eric. 10.30 or so to be interactive action at 602-260-1060 and also the local roundup. And uh, we'll also have a quick bottom line at the bottom of the hour, uh, some uh, pipeline questions that we will address here in a moment. We'll answer those at the bottom of the hour. Then the final segment of the Sports Zone will be the National Roundup, topped by a Bills and Broncos Monday night football uh, analysis, review, etc. Right now, on to the pipeline we go. Time for today's pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, which is more important for the 2023 Cardinals, winning games or losing games, to get a higher pick in the 2024 draft? And Corey is here and has the early returns. Right now, winning and losing tied 50-50 on KDUS1060.com. Okay, the Cardinals win on Sunday uh, against the Falcons, dropped them from first to third in the race, race so to speak, uh, to be the top pick of the 2024 NFL Draft. By the way, uh, the Cardinals, uh, the team the Cardinals beat on Sunday, the Falcons, will reportedly not fire head coach Arthur Smith uh, this week when the Falcons are on a bye. Meanwhile, today's Twitter poll question, should Georgia – Move ahead of Ohio State in tonight's CFP rankings. And, Corey, what do we have here? Leading a lot, yes, 78.6% of the vote there. No at 21.4% of the vote right now on KDUSAM1060.com. Oh, actually, wait, on Twitter. There it is. Yeah, okay, there you go. Uh, Georgia has defeated the consecutive ranked opponents the last two weeks, beating Missouri and Old Miss. Ohio State... Their so-called quality wins over Notre Dame and Penn State, they've been losing relevance as the process has continued here. Meanwhile, on the local front, back to the local front, Cor- Corbin Carroll made history yesterday on Monday. He officially became the Diamondbacks' first ever Rookie of the Year. What everyday position should the Diamondbacks most address this offseason? Meanwhile, the U of A basketball and football teams are ranked the Wildcats hoop team moved up to number three after last Friday's win at Duke, while the football team should remain in the college football playoff top 25 today. Meanwhile, which team should U of A fans currently be following more, the U of A basketball program or the 7-3 and three football team? Meanwhile, spanning the globe, the Bills are 5-5. Five and five. 
The Bills this morning fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. Will the Bills not reach the postseason in 2023 slash 2024? Because the postseason's like, you know, the box of the regular season goes into 2020. You get the idea. This season, will the Bills reach the postseason? Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? That's the pipeline for today. We've got all these tremendous topics and much more. During today's sensational radio program, anything else on your mind falls into the general discussion category. So whether it is from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or uh, twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. Coming up next, Corey, we'll have a news update. That'll be followed by around college football. We'll cover many topics. CFP, Michigan, CFP, and non-CFP. <laughs> uh, Texas A&M moving on from Jimbo Fisher. There were a couple other coaching moves. We'll get to you know, those in some shape or form. And who knows what else with Eric Smith from USA Today. Once again, at the bottom of the hour, to be phone call time, general discussion, 602 260-1060, a little local roundup. Also, the bottom line for the pipeline questions that we just addressed, or at least mentioned. And uh, we'll have, uh, I'll have some answers for those at the bottom of the hour as we uh, do the one-hour compact local radio programming for this morning right here on KDUSAM 1060 and Castlex HD2 100.7. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Kiss Lux HD2 100.7. Your home the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 a.m., all right, tonight is round three, ding, ding, of the uh, 2023 college football playoff rankings. To go around college football, out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined in sports on by Eric Smith of USA Today. And, Eric, good to have you once again. Uh, let's uh, start with the Michigan story. Uh, actually, let, let's put off the Michigan story for a moment or two. Sorry, I'll get to that. I'll get to Texas A&M looking for a coach. Let's start with the CFP for tonight. Does Georgia tonight pass Ohio State with, uh, obviously, Georgia has wins against top 25 teams the last two weeks, and Ohio State's wins over Notre Dame and Penn State might be declining a little bit in significance? I think that's the conventional thought. It's just, you know, you never can tell with the committee what they're going to do. I mean, Georgia has, the last couple weeks, appeared to be the team that we thought they were going to be, and, and that's not – surprising that they were a little bit slow out of the gate considering the amount of turnover they had but i just get the feeling like they're peaking at the right time the committee's going to notice this is it hugely significant right now probably not i mean you know georgia's playing another ranked team on the road when they go to tennessee this week and um ohio state's playing minnesota at home so if they're not number one this week i bet it would be next week as long as they don't lose that makes sense. And if they both win out, everything's cool for them anyway, right? 
Yeah, it's, I, I do think there's an element of, you know, whether you're one or two, the seeding, is, is, it could be significant depending on the other yeah. two teams that would make it. Um, one could make the argument that, uh, you know, maybe you'd rather play Florida State than play a team like Oregon. If Oregon can make it, you know, I'm really high on Oregon. I think they're the best team in the Pac-12, and I think they'll win out, and I think they will uh, probably make the playoff, although it could be a little bit dicey between maybe them and Texas, but uh, Texas were to win out. But, um, you know, I'd rather play Florida State than a team like Oregon. I just, like I said, I'm really high on how they, how they played, and it certainly, for my opinion, should have won that game in uh, Seattle, but they'll have another chance to sort of get retribution uh, if they keep winning. Dan Lanning, some odd decisions in that game, in my opinion, and uh, the opinion of others. Okay, so tonight when ESPN has the top 25 countdown, what or who will you be most paying attention to during that countdown? Well, I don't – yeah, I mean, I think, the, like we talked about, the one and two, I, I'm not super invested in that, but I am really interested to see how they shake out uh, the one-loss team. Uh, Oregon has been ahead of Texas, um, and then you've got Alabama. Alabama is also playing great right now. Um, you know, I know a lot of people point at the head-to-head as being a big factor and the fact that Texas beat them. But, um, you know, that game was, was 10 weeks ago. And to me, Alabama is the most one of the most improved teams in the country. And if they played again, I would more favor Alabama to beat Texas than the other way around, mm-hmm. um, given the way Texas has been playing the last few weeks, albeit, you know, obviously with their backup quarterback. So, you know, how they shake those out if they continue to keep Oregon edged ahead, I think I think they're in good shape. And then the other the other interesting question will be um, you got a series of one uh, two loss teams and how they sort of stack up. You've got a Missouri, you've got Ole Miss, uh, Oklahoma, a couple others that are trying to fight for those New Year's six spots, and most of them is, are not going to be in conference championship games. So if they win out, where does that whether those pieces shake in regards to who can maybe get into a you know, Fiesta Bowl or Cotton Bowl um, uh, over New Year's uh, weekend and whatnot, because you know for those programs that would be significant. You mentioned Texas. One other thing about them, I thought that uh, Jonathan Brooks, their leading rusher, suffering the torn ECL that will end his season. Uh, that was actually the biggest thing that happened in college football on Saturday this past Saturday. Does that factor into where the, uh, the, the the college football, you know, the bowl committee, or excuse me, the uh, the playoff committee might factor in what to do at Texas now? I don't think they'll do it certainly this week, but I do think they may keep an eye on just how they're performing. You know, who who's going to be the primary ball carrier? I mean, he to me, he, I think you're right in many regards. Uh, he's been a difference that we did not anticipate for Texas. They obviously had B. John Robinson last year. Uh, he was dynamic, a uh, huge part of their success. Uh, they thought, we thought they were going to take a big step back with whoever was going to replace him. And, and Brooks has been outstanding and really the guy they leaned on uh, to, 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 for their run game. And even at the end of that TCU game when they were trying to uh, you know, keep the lead, he was the guy they were giving the ball to. And so um, you know, they don't have somebody that has been established uh, this year, they've got a, a couple young players who are really good and talented, obviously, uh, and we'll see how they play. And if, if you know if they're not that standard, if they're not running the football, they're going to be a very different team. And so certainly the committee will look at that um, and how they perform. You know, the, the last couple weeks of the regular season, and they seem likely to get into the Big 12 championship game. And you know, how they perform, whether it's 
Oklahoma State or they get a rematch with Kansas State or Oklahoma, um, in a certain game they're going to have to win and get in that mix for the playoffs. Eric Smith of USA Today, currently in the Sports Zone. Okay, on to Michigan. Uh, the question <laughs> is, uh, you know, look, look, we'll get to the on the field Michigan thing in a minute here, but uh, you know, the injunction to get Harbaugh back in the field is going to be heard Friday in in, in, in an Ann Arbor court. I don't know if uh, the judge is going to be wearing a Michigan sweatshirt or how that works out. Is there any way to guess what the verdict might be on that Friday, you know, the Friday ceremony, uh, the circumstance of Friday? Let's put it that way. Uh, well, you know, this is maybe a little bit foreign territory in the legal uh, realm for me. Uh, yeah, me but I too. Do think, you know, <laughs> some of that external stuff in regards to it's obviously in a Michigan state court, not a federal court. Uh, you would like, you would probably tend to, to think that, that then that's why Michigan filed the case there was to essentially get a more favorable ruling. This is really uncharted territory, I think, in college athletics where we've seen a school sue a conference. We've seen some lawsuits relative to the uh, NCAA where schools have sued over potential punishment or player eligibility, things like that. But this is really uncharted territory. It seems from a legal perspective, and you know, again, I'm layman, layman here, but that the Big Ten has followed whatever rules it has, and I think they would be exceptionally diligent knowing the uh, scrutiny that they were going to be under for making this decision, uh, that they followed the rules to a T, and they have the authority to make this decision. And if that's the case from a legal perspective, it seems pretty straightforward. You know, Michigan's going to try to argue, well, they didn't follow the procedures, which I've talked to a couple of people, and you know, so the idea is, well, when you don't have the facts on your side, you argue procedure. When you have the facts, you argue facts. And so the facts aren't really in, con- you know, in, in contention. There was this sign stealing going on, and it was extensive, and it was cheating. And they were found guilty. The question is, like, who should be punished and, you know, what the authority the Big Ten has here. You know, and, and that that's one of the things where, you know, I would think it's pretty straightforward. But, again, I'm not there privy to the arguments or what the court might be willing to decide. And I do think it's, you know, the fact that they're arguing this on a Friday before a game, assuming the team is going to travel on Friday to Maryland. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that adds another layer to this where we had the suspension the day before the Penn State game. Maybe it gets reinstated the day before this game. I mean, who knows? Okay, so here's another question. I, mean, I don't know if I should ask or you know, whether you're equipped to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Harbaugh said on Monday he's going to be there on Friday. What what would he say if he's allowed to you know, make a you know, stand of as to what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I I guess if he want you know his lawyer, the lawyers for the school want to put him on the stand to say I have no knowledge of any of this, what happened. That I guess is an attempt to try to alleviate the responsibility there, um, but again, I don't think the Big Ten. Big Ten was very careful on how it worded its punishment because it didn't specifically say they were suspending Harbaugh because they knew he was aware of it. They were saying this was the best punishment for the school that didn't impact the players uh, and. You know, they were trying to get around the sort of argument that because they, as far as we know, there is no evidence of Harbaugh's 
direct involvement, although it's, I mean, I can't imagine that he wasn't at least tangentially aware of most of what's going on, but that's a whole other story. The NCA is going to do, is dealing with a whole series of information on this as well. None of this information is probably going to be part of the, the argument, but certainly having him there in court and his presence could have an impact on the judge, whether he testifies could have an impact on the judge. I mean, it's all part of this. It's like a circus and, and um, which is crazy, yeah. but that's sort of what college athletics has become these, these days. Circus is a good word. Okay, back to what we're used to talking about, and you're, of course, talking and writing about. Michigan on the field. What was most impressive about the win on Saturday at Penn State? Uh, I just think the way they physically dominated the game. Uh, you know, Penn State's a really good def- defense. And while they didn't hit them with a lot of big plays, they just methodically ground them down. And honestly, I thought the play calling they had to take advantage of Penn State was really excellent. You know, you saw, especially early in, in the first half, they had a couple of third and longs where they ran the ball, taking advantage of Penn State trying to get after the quarterback that were successful. That was the uh, second touchdown where they scored, you know, third and 11. Just really you know, well-planned, well-conceived, uh, you know, play calling by Sharon Moore. And it, you know, I, I was, you were talking about this, it's like, if you didn't know Jim Harbaugh was suspended, uh, you would have thought he was there coaching and calling the plays. And that's mm-hmm. a testament to, to the coaching staff and how they, they carried out, you know, what happened. I mean, they probably had anticipated this might occur where he would be suspended before the game because there's a lot of talk, obviously, the week leading up to it. And they'd also obviously prepared for this because he hadn't coached the first three games of the season. But in that kind of environment and that kind of game, they didn't really flinch. Um, and really they took it to Penn State, and Penn State just didn't really have an answer, especially offensively. That's, you know, that's for me from the Penn State side, the disappointment is how poor they played offensively and how unwilling they were to really challenge Michigan. Uh, you know, they really seeded uh, that, you know, in short yardage and things like that, that they couldn't beat them head-to-head, and that was, I think, disappointing if you're a Penn State fan. Talking with Eric Smith from USA Today. So let's uh, you know, let's talk about the Penn State side here. James Franklin continues to fall short against uh, the top-level opponents for the most part. Continues to change coordinators. Uh, at what point does this fall on Franklin, or are they just in too deep financially to do anything about that? I mean, this is the you know hard challenge for a program like Penn State. Uh, you know, I know that James Franklin gets a lot of criticism, and there's certainly, I've certainly been critical, and you know, like I just said, that I thought their performance was not up to their standard. That said, you know, he's winning nine or ten, eleven games a season. Uh, you know, his own, you know, but he's got to beat Ohio State, and Michigan. So the question is, um, what do you do about that? Do you try to uh, work around the edges? You know, change the coordinator? Um, you know. Obviously, recruiting-wise, they need to get in better players, especially at the skill position, to compete with those teams. But, you know, you make a change, and you never know what you're going to get. You could get somebody who's going to get them over the top, but is Penn State in a position to get that guy? Um, And there's not really an obvious choice from sort of the Penn State family or or somewhere that is a natural fit that you have a lot of confidence in that. So, you know, can they figure out a way – you know, to to improve with a guy that they know at, at a at a floor is a nine 
maybe 10 win coach. And, you know, that's, that's a challenge for a lot of programs and they try to re- aim high and they fall back because they don't pick the right guy. So talk with Eric Smith I from think, US. Oh, go, go ahead, Eric. Yeah. I'm just finish up. Yeah. Like I was just going to finish up to say, I think they're going to stick with him. Some of it is the financial aspect, but I do think they really like he's winning all the games that they should win. And there is, something to be said for that but he and, and the scrutiny is going to be there but you know he as much as anybody knows what he has to do and they have to figure out a way to get that done okay so on to a&m we go uh jimbo fisher's out why did uh fish uh, fisher let's see i think it's safe to say fail and f- let's say let's rephrase that fall so short of expectations why did that happen uh, in college station for him well i think it starts with the expectations um, you know, Jimbo Fisher came in as one of the few coaches who had actually won a national championship. But the expectations at Texas A&M are, to me, like extraordinarily outsized for what they've achieved over the course of 30 years. Um, they have not been. They have not. They've won one conference championship in I think 30 years. Now, they they have aspirations to be in the playoff and to win national championships, but that's not really the pedigree of that program. They haven't won a national championship, I think before world war two. So, you know, or since world war two. So like, you know, that's the first part is the idea that he was going to come in and make them better than Alabama, better than LSU, better than Georgia, you know, programs that have pedigree, but also wherewithal and coaching uh, infrastructure in place to win games was, was a high bar. And, you know, so that's the first part. And then the second part is they've heavily relied on NIL uh, in regards to their recruiting, and they've been really successful. But there's a downside to that in that you're recruiting players knowing that part of the decision process is the aspects of the money and what they're getting paid. And, and that's not a criticism of the players themselves, but, like, you've got to – it's not just about getting a group of players in that are really talented. It's about getting players in that fit what you're trying to do, who are motivated and it's all in the same direction and are focused on winning as a priority. And they have not succeeded in, in implementing that strategy for themselves because they, there's too many holes in the program. There's too many often individuals who are worried about their own circumstances and it's just not been a good fit. Um, they've also really, really struggled offensively at the quarterback position. They've had in some really you know, talented players, but it just hasn't worked, and everything they've tried didn't work. And so that, that's why they're here. And who they get in, you know, they're going to obviously aim high again, and they're going to have those expectations because they have a huge investment from their fan base to, to, to want to win. But, you know, that's not been the history of the program, so it's, a, it's a going to be a pretty big challenge for whoever is, signs on and, and, and accepts it. Okay, so let's get to that next. I mean, if money's not a restriction moving forward, who would be uh, you know, a realistic replacement in your mind? Well, I think that's the big question is, you know, I think that they will, would want somebody like a Dan Lanning. Uh, would, I think he would be a great fit. But, you know, it's Listen to what Dan Lanning said yesterday. He's not going anywhere. I do think mm-hmm. somebody like Mike Elko, who was previously a defensive coordinator there, has been really, really good at Duke. 
and you know, that's a hard place to win. But he has, in a very short period of time, got them, uh, you know, competent winning games that they, you know, you would never expect them to win. Almost winning games like they should have won against Carolina the other night. They probably should have beat Notre Dame. I mean, this is a team without an injury to the quarterback could be, you know, nine and one right now. Um, and so I think he's a really good fit. He's defensively oriented, so that I think will play there. But, you know, the challenge for Mike Elko or whoever else they were going to bring is, like I said, they've got to get the offensive piece working. And so not just the head coach, but then, you know, who they get to run the offense, whether that is an offensive-minded head coach or it's somebody that that coach hires as a coordinator, it's going to be a really big hire too. Eric, good stuff. I appreciate it. I look forward to doing it again, and uh, I'll try to leave the jurisprudence stuff out next time. But that's not my, that's <laughs> yeah, not well, my well, fault this time. Yeah, will be over hopefully soon. Yes, that would be. I, I think you're tired of writing about it and talking about it. I'm certainly <laughs> tired of talking about it. So good stuff. Thanks, That's Eric. Right. Thank you, Eric. Eric Smith, USA Today. Excellent stuff there. And uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I've, I've actually been. I actually went to some court proceedings back in the day. Not when I was like the principal party, but in my Prescott days at lunchtime, go see a few trials up at the courthouse and so forth. And uh, I've watched Perry Mason and Matlock over the years among many lawyer shows. So, but I'm not averse to uh, try to figure out what's going to happen on Friday in Ann Arbor with uh, Mr. Harbaugh, apparently in attendance. That, that could be fun. Court TV. They still have court TV. Maybe that'll be on court TV. All right. Next segment, phone call time. You got to hustle up 602, 260, 1060. One segment of phone calls today. We'll also get to a little local roundup. The U of A basketball team back on the floor last night after their victory at Duke on Friday night. And uh, we'll have a quick version of the bottom line from today's pipeline since we don't have an extra point today and I won't get the answer to those questions. So I'll quickly go through that. But mainly phone call time if you want to get in. 602-260-1060. You're listening to SportsZone on KDUSAM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. It's time for today's local roundup. All right, welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. In addition to local roundup, it is phone call time if you want to jump aboard, 602-260-1060. First up, here's a quick bottom line from today's pipeline. Uh, you know, the poll questions today. Let's start with the KDUS poll question. Which is more important for the 2023 Cardinals, winning games or losing games, to get a higher draft pick in the 2024 draft? And the bottom line to me is the Cardinals will be best served to lose games the rest of the season, uh, a.k.a. tank. Uh, you know, I think the, with this draft pick, uh, this class of draft picks, the quarterback class specifically, Seems to be the best in several seasons. And whether you're on the Kyler Murray bandwagon or not, and I'm guessing after Sunday's performance, many are, I would still think it's best that they lose games and have an opportunity to take a quarterback as high as possible in the draft in 2024. Meanwhile, today's Twitter poll question, should Georgia move ahead of Ohio State in tonight's college football playoff rankings? There's no question that Georgia should be ranked ahead of Ohio State at this point. Um, I could have made a case two weeks ago when they first came out that Georgia should have been ahead of Ohio State. But at that time, Ohio State had quality wins, but their two quality wins against Notre Dame and Penn State, losing some juice in the last couple weeks, and Georgia's schedule certainly gotten much more difficult 
now defeating consecutive ranked opponents. And as Eric mentioned in the last segment, they played another one this week and they go to Tennessee. And that might be actually their hardest challenge yet. I don't know if Tennessee's any good. I thought they were, and then I had them last week, and they got beat at uh, Missouri. Missouri's been a my nemesis in college football this year. I've been against them or on them, and it seems like I never get it right. So I'm done with Missouri for the rest of the year, no matter who they're playing at this point. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, mentioned the Ohio State, uh, the, the wins against Notre Dame and Penn State, they have definitely – um uh, decreased in uh in uh in, in let's see uh significance let's call it, use that word also other quick coins uh, questions and answers actually we'll just give you the answers from the pipeline today the diamondbacks biggest position player need this offseason is third base which was you know never a position of stability in 2023 u of a fans right now so i think should be more interested in their their football success uh, then basketball wins in the month of November. They've been getting basketball wins in the month of November for years. In fact, to start of the Lute Olsen era, they were always good to start the season, and that has definitely been the case for Tommy Lloyd in his first three years. The U of A, most unfortunately for the U of A, their significant wins, their most significant wins have come early in the season and certainly not in March. Uh, when they're in the NCAA tournament. Of course, last year they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament to Princeton. And the U of A was a two seed and lost to number 15, Princeton. The uh, Bills, uh, as I met, if you missed it earlier, Ken Dorsey, the offense coordinator, was fired this morning after last night's loss. They're now 5-5, five and five, and they're not going to reach the postseason. A 500 record would not be part of the playoffs in the AFC might be in the NFC, but not in the AFC. Quickly, uh, some local roundup items here. The Cardinals, uh, looking ahead, are four-point underdogs on uh, this upcoming Sunday against the five and four tight uh, Texans, and we'll have a uh, preview of that game and the Texans side of things on Friday during the Sports Zone at ten fifteen. Meanwhile, the five and seven Sun Devils are twenty-two and a half point home underdogs this week against nine and one Oregon. And then the seven and three Wildcats are one point favorites at home against seven and three Utah. That game on Saturday, I believe that game's a 12:30 start in Tucson. Also, speaking of the U of A, the basketball team won again last night. They were 31 and a half point favorites over over uh, Southern, and they won. Uh, they actually they did not only won, they covered. And I'm going to kind of go with a part of an Associated Press story here because Shad Johnson. Scored a career-high 17 points. The U of A used a 17-0 run after halftime and uh, ran away with a, uh, they got a 97-59 to a 50, uh, 59 victory, 97-59 victory over Southern on Monday night. The U of A trailed by five midway through the first half, but then they outscored the Tigers 60-18 to over the next 20 minutes of that game. Uh, it was the U of A's first game since winning Friday night at second-ranked Duke. And that was the highest-ranked team on the road that the U of A has ever beaten, which kind of surprised me. I figured UCLA was maybe number one in some of those games that they won on the road in Poly Pavilion over the years, uh, but they didn't. By the way, Southern was coming off a win at UNLV in uh, its last game, so they had some success uh, earlier this season. Uh, back to the story, you know, Johnson, the AP story. Uh, Johnson was six out of eight for the field last night. He scored 14 points. 
and uh, each of the UA's first two games, and he uh, kind of was the the man last night, including at that big basket at Duke. We played that uh, highlight at the top of the hour to start today's show. Uh, by the way, Arizona has a lot of balance scoring. Uh, they've gotten 10 or more points from at least five players in each game this season so far, their first three games. The Wildcats have had 19 different players, or not different, but they've had 19 players scoring double figures in those three games. Tommy Lloyd now 64-11 and as the head coach. That's the second most wins in 75 games to start a Division I career behind Wisconsin coach, uh, uh, yeah, actually, uh, Doc Menwell. I don't know who Doc is. Doc must have been a coach a long time ago. He was 71-4 and four in his first 75 games at Wisconsin back in, I'm guessing, the covered wagon days. And contrary to popular belief, I was not part of the covered wagon days. Just after that, horses and buggies and so forth, yeah, covered wagons, We, you know, I didn't see those. Uh, meanwhile, Lloyd already has the most wins uh, the first two seasons with 61 and needs 20 more to pass uh, Brad Underwood at 89 in the first three uh, for, for the first three uh, seasons of a college career. And he might get the he might get to the 89 this year. We'll see how that goes. That means he needs like 28 more wins. So will he do that? By the way, the UVA plays again on Friday against Belmont, the team that's been in the NCAA tournament with frequency over the last decade or so. So we'll see what happens Friday night at McHale Center. All right, coming up next, we'll have a news update with Corey. That'll be followed by the conclusion of today's Sports Zone with the National Roundup. That'll include a little from the scoreboard, a little bit from last night's Bills and uh, Broncos game, and we'll get to as much as we can possibly get to in the next segment in addition to uh, the uh, little roundup from last night. And uh, it was uh, not the most exciting game last night. I had the Bills plus 10.5 in the pool I'm in. I talked about that yesterday as we were on the extra, during extra point. And there, there, were, there, was one, there was one stretch of time I was a little concerned that I may not actually, they may not cover that. But the Bills were just bad enough that they managed to lose the game. And we'll get to that a little more in the next segment. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castellux HD 2 So with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7. It is thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also our guest today around college football, Eric Smith of USA Today. On Wednesday at 1015, it will be our weekly fantasy football update with John McKechnie of rotowire.com. We'll go through the waiver wire for this week, among other things. Uh, by the way, Thursday at 10.15, we'll preview the Thursday night Ravens and Bengals game uh, with Luke Jones, and uh, we'll get the, the latest uh, on the Ravens situation. Why do they keep blowing these games in the fourth quarter? 
seven fourth quarter leads that they've lost and lost games in the last two years, the most in the NFL. Sound of the day courtesy of CBS, ESPN, NBC, ESPN2, and Pac-12 Networks. Also a special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. All right, on to the national roundup we go. And from the football scoreboard, the Bills now 5-5. Five and five. And uh, you know, we already mentioned that. I think the Broncos, uh, you know, maybe didn't get talked about enough yet last night. And uh, you know, having for me in this hour, they've now won three in a row. And uh, after last night's win, and uh, after that horrendous, you know, when they give up the seventy points uh, to the Dolphins, uh, they actually have a winning record since then. They're actually. They've won uh, three straight and uh, four out of six since then. Sean Payton, I think, is doing a really good job uh, with the roster. Obviously, he ruffled some feathers before the season, uh, certainly with the Jets. But uh, you know, I think that his own roster has responded, and he seems to be – when uh, that roster got healthy, I remember they had a whole bunch of defensive players that were out when they lost that game 70-20 to at Miami earlier this year. A lot of those guys are healthy now, and uh, you know, he's got a running back. Javante Williams is obviously healthy. Russell Wilson, okay, even though if Russell Wilson made a couple of better passes last night or more accurate passes, they, they would have won more comfortably. But the story today is the Bills, and uh, Ken Dorsey out is the offensive coordinator after last night. The Bills have now lost four out of six. They're currently not in the AFC playoffs. Their schedule is very demanding the rest of the way. Might be tough for them to work the way back into the AFC playoff picture. Maybe if they were in the NFC, they'd have a shot. Uh, but they're not going to win a fourth consecutive division title, it doesn't seem. And uh, the Bills in jeopardy of Mason missing the playoffs for the first time since 2018. Two other things. A couple of their stars, at least their most known players, are not performing. Josh Allen, two more picks last night. He has thrown at least one interception in six consecutive games. And also Von Miller, who, remember, got started late. He started the season on the pup list coming off of the uh, ACL injury, and he suffered that ACL injury last Thanksgiving night. Uh, He has been missing in action. It was again last night. In fact, he has zero sacks, Von Miller, in six games this season. All right, some other quick things from the wire slash rip from the headlines. Around the NFL, Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford, his injured thumb improved during the bye week, and he should be ready to start, uh, should be able to start on uh, Sunday against the Seahawks. Also, Sean McVay indicated on Monday that Kyron Williams should return next week, which is the number, November 26th game. That's against the Cardinals in Glendale. The uh, Dolphins activated Devon Achan. From the IR on Monday, and uh, he might actually be ready to play on Sunday, the first week off the IR for him against the uh, Raiders. Uh, So that's at least the expectation. Lots going on with the Saints. Uh, They have a bye this week. Uh, Derek Carr's shoulder, which he uh, injured in the Sunday loss in Minnesota. That's supposedly okay, but Carr is in concussion protocol. Remember, they do have this week off. Dennis Allen said on Monday that Carr will remain the starting quarterback when he's healthy. Uh, Hopefully that ends uh, the talk that Jameis Winston should be the starting quarterback. Also staying with the Saints, also on Sunday, the uh, trio, or the duo, excuse me, of Michael Thomas, he had a knee issue, and Marshawn Lattimore, both a couple of Ohio State guys there. Lattimore with an ankle injury. They were both forced to leave that game on Sunday. 
We'll see what their status is in a couple weeks when they play again. And they made a signing yesterday. They signed Jason Pierre Parr, Paul, excuse me, pass rusher Jason Pierre Paul, who was a free agent and uh, had been looking around for a team for several weeks. And he signed with the Saints yesterday. Meanwhile, college football LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, after last week's record-setting uh, performance against Florida, is soaring up NFL draft boards, at least by the media expert draft boards. Mel Kuyper, for example, of ESPN, had Daniels a second-round pick now and said that, that yesterday. And uh, only quarterbacks ahead of him are Caleb Williams, Drake May, and also Shadur Sanders. And if the Cardinals are in the quarterback market, Williams, May, and Sanders would be possibilities for the Cardinals, depending on where they end up drafting next year. All right, that's it for the Sports Zone for today. We'll be back tomorrow with a full three hours of local morning, early afternoon programming. That'll start in this hour and uh, with the Sports Zone. And then from 11 to 1 o'clock, it's the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. 